Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? It's an exciting time of the year for UFC 250 tomorrow night. And without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go. My bookie, for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try a parlay, for instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week. Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, Get paid. Today's Monday, June 8th, 2020, and on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to start things off by talking to former professional ball player Grayson Long, a former number three round draft pick of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim back in 2013. He was later traded to the Detroit Tigers for Justin Upton in 2017 before calling it quits due to some injuries. He talks about his love for hunting, why he's a Red Sox fan, even though he grew up in Houston, Texas his time spent in the minor leagues, and much more. And I got a chance to chat with Grayson through the San Luis Obispo Blues Baseball Organization, a summer collegiate baseball program that I currently serve as the play-by-play voice for. And since there's no season due to the COVID-19 concerns in 2020, we have set up a way for all Blues fans to listen into their favorite players as you can catch Talking Blues with yours truly every week on YouTube, new interviews with players, coaches, front office, past and present. We've got them all, baby. And Talking Blues is also available on YouTube as well as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we're also going to catch up with CJ Hawk today, host of the Ball and Sports, uh, uh, the Ball and Hawk Sports Show, talking about all MLB news going around this time of year. I mean, the Players Association and Major League Baseball are scuffling at the moment. You could say the draft is being shortened to five rounds. What this means for the New York Yankees and the Dodgers, who were looking to contend in 2020. Uh, but the biggest thing I wanted to take away from CJ and I's chat was the Roy Halladay in Perfect documentary, which is available on uh, ESPN.com as we speak. It came out last week, and uh, I mean, it had me in tears, man. I, I was, I was, it, it was a very sad story of one of the greatest pitchers in Major League Baseball history going down, and and what they were insinuating was a massive drug addiction to opioids and possibly even more. I think there was morphine and amphetamine found in his system when he uh, crashed his plane in the Gulf of Mexico. But we'll get into all that in good taste later on in the show. But first, let's get to talking blues with former Angels right-handed pitching prospect Grayson Long here on episode 203. Welcome inside Sinsheimer Park in San Luis Obispo, California for the inaugural episode of Talkin' Blues. That's right, an all-new podcast talking all things San Luis Obispo Blues baseball with former and current players, coaches, and front office staff. Talkin' Blues is presented by the California Collegiate League. I am your host, Jack O'Hara. I am the play-by-play voice for your San Luis Obispo Blues baseball team for the 2020 season, or at least I was supposed to be before the outbreak of COVID-19. Of course, front office management of the Blues, including general manager Adam Stowe, announced several weeks ago that the Blues would not be fielding a team this summer due to COVID-19 concerns and as understandable. But never fear, 
even though we won't be playing baseball at Sinchammer Park in 2020, the San Luis Obispo Breeders will be providing content this summer to keep fans updated on how their team is doing from home. We will have one new episode per week for all Brewers fans, streaming on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Podbean. You can also catch these streams on YouTube, as well as some of the snippets from the shows on our Instagram page. And on today's episode, we jump right into the fast lane, baby. We're talking with former Blues player and former Major League Baseball right-handed pitching prospect, Grayson Long. Grayson played with the Blues in the summer of 2013. He was a student out of Texas A&M University before entering the Major League Baseball draft the following season in 2014, getting selected by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in the third round. He'd make it all the way to AAA before calling it a career in 2018. But Grayson was gracious enough to chat about his experience in San Luis Obispo as well as what he's up to now. So now, like the professional that I am, I forgot to hit record when talking to Grayson about his background and what inspired him to play ball at the beginning. That's on me. That's my bad. Won't happen again. Uh, But he basically summed it up as being a family sport in uh, the Long household. And he talked a little bit about his favorite teams growing up in the Houston area before I hit the big red button. And no, he he didn't grow up an Astros fan. He grew up a Red Sox fan. So let's get into our first interview of the summer here on Talking Blues with Grayson Long. Enjoy. Conflict with baseball, but definitely with football. You know, if the Texans and Cowboys are playing, it's, we sit on opposite sides of the room and kind of give each other crap the whole time. So wow. That's interesting. I'm a Cowboys fan, too. I grew up in New Jersey. My dad's a Giants fan, and, like, we got into a big fight one day when I was, like, eight years old, probably doing something stupid as an eight-year-old, and uh, the Cowboys won in overtime, I think, and he was just really pissed, so I'm like, all right, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan now, and that's how it, how, how it happened for me. Um, wh- what was, because uh, obviously you went to Texas A&M to play ball, um, don't get too uh, too detailed here, but what are your most noble memories on the field, one story on the field, and then one story off the field. Oh, man, on the field. Oh, gosh. Uh, actually, my junior year, just my junior year in, in whole, uh, that team was special. I mean, we only lost 14 games on a year. That's incredible yeah. postseason. So, I mean, that just that whole year, man, it was, it was fun. I wish I could have relived it a few more times. But, uh, yeah, just, just being a part of that group and finally, you know, having some older guys on the team come together and just play together and be a team really instead of having some you know individuals trying to just get there as we can together as a team and we had a lot of great individual talent on that team but we always stuck together like a brotherhood and it was fun to be a part of but off the field oh man i guess meeting my wife um, there you go and, and yeah in school that was that's probably my best memory there that's a great memory right there. When During your playing days in college, like you just mentioned, it was kind of like a brotherhood in a sense. Uh, was there any difficulties at all, like dealing with uh, the, that tight core group of guys who all want to excel, who all are like hungry and driven to win, especially, of course, with coaches, and then you have the media on top of that too? I mean, we just we held each other accountable, you know, for, for everything that we did, whether it was practice or the weight room or off-the-field stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of something that – 
our coaching staff kind of drove home, and they didn't really have to handle anything disciplinary-wise because we took care of everything. Obviously, San Luis Obispo Blues podcast here. You played for them in 2013. What would you say was your most memorable moment about that summer, and what was the whole experience like living out in uh, on the central coast of California? Man, it's actually crazy. I, yeah. I, I didn't know it, it, you know, going into it, but the host family that I got stuck with was actually from my hometown in Texas. There you go. And, uh, so it was, you know, it, it made the whole experience a lot easier. That was the first time I'd ever really been away from my family for that long. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just the interviews, the, the Townsends, I don't even know if they're still in that area or not or if they're still hosting or what, but they were great. Uh, the host dad was a cop, and that was when I was a stay-at-home mom. They had two kids, and it was just a great experience, man, just being with those guys and, and, and having a few of my teammates on the team made it a lot easier. Oh, that makes it a ton more better. Do you remember what you guys did that year, given it was like seven years ago? The way back machine. I know it was between us and the four shoes, which I've kind of talked to some guys that have played their stance, and it kind of seems to be the reoccurring theme. Of the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Blues and Forcers, but uh, we went to Wichita, Kansas. I don't really remember how we qualified for that, but it was like the Collegiate Summer League National Championship or something like that. Yeah. We didn't win, but we did get to go, so that was fun. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I was I think I was a broadcaster there yeah, two summers ago in 2018 with uh, a team that's no longer there, uh, part of the FCA. And, uh, yeah, the Santa Barbara Foresters kick ass every year. I don't know what it is. They, they just recruit. They, they honestly belong in the Cape Cod League. I don't know what it is. What do you think was your best, uh, like, did you build any friendships? Like, you mentioned some of your current or your teammates uh, were on that team. Did you build any new friendships that you still carry today from that team or any of your teams that you played in summer ball with? Well, that was actually the only, team, the only time I ever played summer okay. ball. I pitched many innings my sophomore year. Wow. I was the junior year I went to uh, in the draft. Yeah. So that was my only time. Um, man, just – you know, you remember names, but baseball, it's really crazy how close you become and then how easily you fall apart. You know, those those friendships kind of fade away once, you know, normal school ball right. gets going and everybody's gotten back on their normal schedule. But, uh, no, man, that, that group of guys was real close, and there were some guys there in the SEC that were on that same team, so it was cool to see them throughout the years and see their success and how they ended up doing. I know uh, when I was playing pro ball, I was with Marucci, and uh, I know a, a guy that was on that team is actually the, the <laughs> they call him the Glove Cowboy now from <laughs> Eric Wallbridge, and uh, he's really successful now with all that stuff. So it's it's cool to see that kind of stuff. <laughs> the Glove Cowboy, that, that that's pretty unique. You just mentioned that uh, you uh, ended up going into the draft after, of course, that 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 summer. Uh, was there any pressure on you to uh, go into the draft, or was there any? Any inkling of you that wanted to finish out school? Like, what was the whole process there, like, kind of going over things, like, of course, with your parents and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's every kid's dream to go play professional baseball and put, you know, a big league club jersey on and spring training and, and try and make your way to the top. And uh, my parents really didn't have any play in it. They said, you know, it's your life, it's your career, whatever you want to do. Um, and I'd had, a, I'd had a really successful college career and, kind of sat down with the coaches and they said you know it's, it's your time you need to go you need to go play yeah. you're ready all that stuff so now it, back, oh back, yeah. I don't know if I would have 
done anything different. Well, that's good. That's a good thing to uh, think about because, again, round three or the 104th round pick, where were you and what were you doing when you were drafted by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim that year? <laughs> uh, we had actually just lost in the Super to TCU, and we got home at, like, 3 in the morning, and I think I got drafted at, like, 8 in the morning. So, so it was very bittersweet, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, real, I was pretty foggy from, from that long trip. But, uh, <laughs> I was actually in bed. I think we had team meetings at, like, 10. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of went from there. It was like, oh, well, you know, I got drafted. My parents weren't there. Nobody was uh, – I met up with my wife later, that her girlfriend at the time, wife now, uh, later that day, and we, we celebrated. But, you know, I mean, all these draft parties and stuff like that, we kind of really weren't in the position to, to do all that. I mean, I'd, I'd say not. Uh, <laughs> uh, did, did you find it very – Difficult transitioning to pro ball when you did. Like, what was the biggest learning curve for you when entering that clubhouse for the first time, transitioning from college to pro ball? I mean, again, you're you're on your own. Yeah. Uh, I went to Warren, Utah, which <laughs> a long way from home, a long way from a And um, Just the first week, just getting acclimated, being away, and, and understanding that you're going to be gone for a while, and it's now your job. That's, that's the biggest difference, I think, and that's what, you know, you see some guys struggle with. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily for fun anymore because if you just treat it like, you know, it's still a game, then sometimes you kind of get past stuff. It's, it is a job, and you have to work at it, and you have to work to keep getting better. Now, on the topic of that, obviously, right now, minor league baseball is going through a grind right now, a ton of cuts. Uh, and during your time uh, in minor league baseball, what would you think was the most difficult aspect of it when playing in the league, just from a living standpoint, on the field, off the field standpoint? What, what do you think was the biggest difficulty when playing in minor league baseball? Oh, man, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a Kind of on your own. 
triple is even worse or better, <laughs> whichever way you want to put it. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you start seeing some guys with some money once you get up there. I mean, not just signing bonus money, money but guys that have, have been on the 40-man or have gone and played winter ball or even have time, um, then that's the biggest difference. I mean, it's just you see those guys with money, and it's like, man, I want to I get to that, to that point sometime. Yeah, and when you talk about being a leader, who would you say was, like, your biggest mentor uh, going up through the ranks? Uh, I had some great coaches. Uh, Buddy Carlisle was my double-A pitching coach. Oh, there you coach. go. I there, yeah, I was there for a full season with Buddy, and uh, Sal Fasano was the manager at that time, and those, both of those guys had quite a bit of showtime and had been around the game for a long time. So just that year was by far my favorite year. It was a great group of guys. I mean, we we weren't very good on paper, but it was a great clubhouse to be in, and, and it was a it was a great learning atmosphere and environment. And uh, just a couple more questions for you. I don't want to take too much of your time on this Monday. Uh, but, of course, you got uh, uh, your playing career, of course, the regular season, um, spring training even. What what's, what were both uh, spring training and even the Arizona Fall League experiences for you like? Because those are completely uh, – I got I to think those are completely uh, unique experience – or, yeah, unique experiences for um, uh, uh, prospects, let alone uh, uh, guys who, like, almost – uh, got there such as yourself yeah i mean the first your first spring training uh, i tell guys now that i see because I, I live here in college station i'm around the around the team every now and then yeah. and they're like man you know what should i expect <laughs> spring training for pitchers go stand in a parking lot with your cleats on for three hours wow you know hope that hope you got some comfortable cleats because you're going to be in them for a long time but uh you go in as a young kid. I remember my first camp. You go in and you're trying to throw as hard as you can from day one, and it's it, it's a marathon. I mean, they're not they're not trying to set rosters day one, day two. I mean, I think you go into camp and they already know where you're going. Right. There might be there might be some guys that you know surprise them and get moved around, but uh, it's just it's just what it is. It's training to get you know ready for the season and. After your first camp, you kind of realize that, and everything kind of settles down. But uh, fall league, man, that was that was by far the craziest team I've ever been on, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, there's some absolute talent on that team and in that league that year. I know Bellinger was in that league. Labor Torres was on that team. Uh, Miguel Andujar. I mean, you, wow. you name the young the young stars right now. It was it was on that team or in that league at least, and it was just. It was crazy to go against those guys uh, week in, week out, day to day. Just being around some of those guys and seeing their work ethic and what they do off the field, it was, it was really special just to see that. And on, on that topic, you mentioned guys playing guys with like Glaber Torres and Miguel Andahar. Were there any uh, veterans that you played against in like the first few weeks of spring training that made you think like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm playing against this guy. Like this is crazy. Yeah, well that, that same team, uh, following team, Greg Bird was our first baseman and he had, wow. he had some injuries I believe that year and they sent him there just to get some reps and just the way he carried himself. I mean, was in the cage, you know, it wasn't a guy that just sat in his locker and hung out until game time. He was either in the cage or on the field taking ground balls. And same thing with Glaber and all those other guys. I mean, they don't get to be as good as they are just by hanging out. Right. They bust it. When I got moved to AAA, uh, Salto Amakia was one of the catchers there with the Tigers. And like I told you, I grew up a Sox fan, so... Just, just being around that guy and him being on some of those historic teams is pretty cool. 
I, I still find it very interesting that you grew up a Sox fan uh, in, in the Texas area. Did you ever go to Fenway Park as a little kid? I haven't. I want to. Really? I was supposed to go to the Cape my sophomore year, but ended up not going, and I kind of regret that because we'd have done that whole Fenway thing with yeah. training and all that. Oh, yeah, of course. You got, like, the whole uh, BP experience there for, like, one practice day, I think. Uh, yeah, so you, you, I would have just – I would have wanted to take some BP on Fenway. Oh, yeah. Was pretty, I'd have had to sneak in there. Oh, yeah. And you, you still to this day haven't been to Fenway, or was it just when you were little? I have, I have not. Wow. It's quite the experience. I mean, have you been to Wrigley yet? I haven't, no. Man, I, I feel uh, accomplished for once talking to a former <laughs> pro baseball player. No, uh, I'm kind of a weird guy. I don't, I don't really watch baseball, uh, especially now. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I had enough of it for 21 years yeah. or however long I was in it. So I haven't, I haven't really gotten back into it. But I definitely want to bring my dad someday and go sit on top of the monster and, and watch a game. I know those tickets are hard to come by, but. I definitely want to do that for, for both of us. Standing room only is cheap, and honestly, you'll find two seats. And it, it, yeah. it saves you like $500, $600. So uh, there you go. And the last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, you just mentioned that, again, especially right now, uh, not watching much baseball. I was taking a look at your Instagram page, just loaded with, with hunting and fishing. Like, What ignited uh, your passion for hunting, and what do you like to hunt the most? I think I was sitting in a deer stand before I got on a baseball field. Wow. Uh, we, uh, we were lucky enough to have some family land in Texas, and just the area where I grew up, it's, it's loaded with, with hunting and fishing. I mean, I grew up a mile from the bay, so that kind of sparked the whole fishing stuff and, and duck hunting and goose hunting. It's, it's just kind of what a kid grows up doing down there. It's either, you know, it's either that or you go off to South Texas and go deer hunting, but we're not lucky enough to have land down there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my dad just raised me uh, going out, sitting in a rice field or sitting in the marsh or doing something, watching the sun come up together. And it's, it's a special it's a special feeling when you can see the sun come up. Wow. Actually really, really out there in the outdoors and kind of disconnected from everything. It, it is my escape and it is my passion. Well, and I'm sure it's a great, uh, at least growing up, and even now, a great father and son bonding experience. Was there ever, uh, like, a, like obviously with uh, with hunting, was there any like big or even mild accidents growing up? No, no, man. We, I was, he was he was a great mentor growing up, and, and taught me, you know, safety with everything. And even if I bring new guys or guys that I haven't hunted with, it's, it's all about safety. And that being safe makes it fun, and and. You know, you don't have to worry about certain things happening. But I have, I have heard some horror stories yeah. of the guys that just kind of got careless and, and let things happen with with new guys or guys that they hadn't been around too much. But I try and be as safe as I can to where everybody goes home and, and enjoys the hunt instead of worrying about if somebody's okay or not. Yeah, well, safety first, safety first right now as well. Again, Grayson, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on with me today. And again, I hope you and your family are staying, are staying safe during like this really hectic time because, again, we got multiple things going on, just crazy yeah. times right now, man. Yeah, crazy world right now, no doubt, no doubt. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for everything. So,
So I know that the latest thing that they were talking about is doing a 50-game season, and we were kind of talking about that beforehand. The original plan was 114 games. MLB denied that offer from the Players Union, and now they're countering with a 50-game plan where the players can opt out of playing uh, the season. It's going to be like 1994 all over again with the players' strike. There could be replacement players, guys from the minor leagues, even though there's been a ton of minor league baseball cuts as well. So I really don't know what's going to happen this year. I, if I'm a betting man, I, I would say there will be no Major League Baseball in 2020 just because they can't get any of their shit together. But at the same time, like 50 games, I'll take one game of baseball this year. I'm, I'm done watching encores. Like the, the Yankees and the Yes Network have been playing encores of just random games that they either win or lose on TV. Like just random games, like a 4-1 to one loss with the White Sox uh, with absolutely no highlights from the game. Like it was just nonsensical. Like why are you putting this on TV? We want new we want fresh baseball uh korean baseball it's a blast it's been fun but uh i want major league baseball back on my television screen yeah that's the same as mvc sports chicago they play like they're playing the 2005 chicago white Sox world series games like every day it's not fun to watch is it no i thought it was gonna be really fun but like i watched like one of the games i was like i already know what's gonna happen i know like basically all this stuff because they talk about the 2005 white Sox. In, like, a normal day, like, all the time. Oh my, well, I, I would say, like, the current, uh, and just to go back to talking about uh, the season and kind of the arguments that's going on between the Players Association as well as Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, I think the current debate between players and owners, it's going to have ramifications now and in 2021 when the existing uh, collective bargaining agreement ends because the players, I think, believe their 2020 salary negotiation uh, and give it has ended. I mean, the owners want further cuts to push back their pending losses from a shorter season without fans and then the players don't trust the owners i mean i think that's obvious right now the owners want to kind of suppress the players wages so i mean here they are butting heads once again and again like i alluded to earlier the players suggested 114 games and the league did not technically counter though it started the process to argue for a 50 game season and in between would be 82 games kind of like an nba season i mean it remains the most likely outcome if they are to play but what is becoming more clear i think is that nobody wants to play baseball in november i think the owners have spoken uh fiercely on that topic in the same manner that players have spoken about further salary cuts up to 70 percent salary cuts this year i think it was uh, the diamondbacks arizona diamondbacks owner ken kendrick who said in a radio appearance a few days ago that he said that he didn't want to take the risk of putting their players at jeopardy um and and their game in peril to be playing games beyond the end of October and that their model will uh, be to never change that they're going to be playing baseball in the month of November or later and it wouldn't even make sense unless they're playing in Tokyo at the Tokyo Dome or somewhere uh, neutral with a roof you know like it just doesn't make sense so to me if I'm a betting man it doesn't seem like they're on the same page at all so if I'm a betting man I don't think there's going to be baseball played in 2020 I don't know about you if you asked me maybe a month ago, I would have said I was maybe 50% sure it would happen. Now I'm more 10, 15% sure. This, they're so far apart, the owners and the players. Because 50 games and 114 games aren't even in the same ballpark. That's not even close. And if they really don't want to play in November, frankly, they should just scrap it and move on to 
2021 season. I mean, it's a 64-game difference they're on. Yeah. They're not even in the same universe right now. I'm a close. And the players are so angry about the pay cuts and the owners can't figure out anything out. They should just cancel. And obviously the issue with canceling is... Like to me, the biggest thing that I can take away, and I've talked about this with a few guys that I've talked to, uh, when it comes to broadcasters and reporters, like, what about like the Brett Gardeners of the world, and like those guys who are 39, 40, 41 years old that are in the final stages of their career, taking a year off? That that's that's a big deal for those older guys who really don't know if they're going to continue playing or not. Yeah, there are a number of players like that. They're like. They were going to play one more year, maybe two more years, but now are they just going to call it quits or are we going to try to play again? It's hard as hell. And it's hard to kind of rev up that engine again, get the, get their bodies ready for a season after taking an entire year off. And you don't know, like, maybe this year off and time spent with their families, it's like, well, maybe I want to I wanna stay here. Like, this was fun this year, and they, they end up not coming back. Especially, uh, and the other side of that is that guys like Mookie Betts, who have one year left on their contracts uh, with the Dodgers, like, the Dodgers are getting screwed here, not having a chance to go out there with Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner and Mookie Betts and Jock. Peterson like they're getting screwed big time offensively like this could have been their year in 2020 as well as the Yankees year in 2020 uh, it, it's very frustrating and I guess everybody's going through it so that makes it a little less frustrating but very frustrating knowing that there's a ton of talent and a ton of potential on some of these teams just being wasted this year that's the same as the White Sox because a lot of people are really excited for uh, Luis Robert to be called up he's just wasting away because they're not playing any minor league games at all or anything and I think, like, the biggest guy was Max Scherzer, who came out and said, like, there's no way we're doing this, taking 60%, 70% pay cuts this season. And Scott Boris, obviously, advising all of his players, like, MLB cannot play without you guys, so don't agree to anything that they're saying. So, and again, like we mentioned, it's a 64-game difference. MLB wants 114 games. The players want 50 games, or vice versa. The players suggested 114, and then the league suggested 50 games. They're in two totally different ballparks, no pun intended, two totally different universes. I just don't see anything getting done this year. But we do have other stuff that we could uh, watch, especially given, we talked about it before we went on, the Roy Halladay Imperfect documentary just came out i mean i know you got a chance to look at it a little bit what did you think of this documentary uh given its circumstances because again i didn't know that he dealt with drug abuse and drug addiction yeah i knew a little bit because i do listen to the uh phillies talk podcast pretty often and they talk about roy holiday often especially during the lead up to the documentary but i didn't know to the extent that he was dealing with all this pain during his career and even after he had retired. Yeah. I mean, it was such a big part. And I think it was mainly towards the end of his career. Like, I don't think he struggled during his time in Toronto. Like, his drug addiction started in his final years playing with the Phillies with uh, an opioid addiction, I think it was, because of pain in his back during, like, the 2011-2012 season. And I think he retired in December of 2013, they said. But even his wife was talking passionately about it, as she obviously should. Uh, Apparently, he shrunk three inches from compression in his spine because he kept playing through the pain and just kept using painkillers 
shoulders to uh, soften the blow, if you will, when he was on the mound because he wouldn't go on the DL. He didn't want to stop because uh, he missed so many months in 2011. And when he came back in 2012, nothing had changed. He was still in so much pain, so he just kept taking prescription drugs. And it, it, apparently they weren't even drugs from the Phillies team doctors. It was just from a guy that he paid cash to uh, um, at a pharmacy that one of his teammates, I think it was Kyle Kendricks, who was often in that documentary too, that kind of uh, told him this is where you should get it or like here's another way you can get it from out from uh, instead of using the doctor's approval from the Philadelphia Phillies. But he shrunk three inches from compression in his spine and his back. And then obviously he went to rehab in 2013. Um, his son talks candidly about it as well. Like, I mean, Roy Halladay apparently just had to be the absolute best on the mound. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like everybody wants, doesn't want to be like the average Joe, especially when you're a major league baseball player. Cause he struggled his first year. I know in 1998, uh, he had over a 10 ERA with the blue Jays just got rocked on the mound. Really didn't have anything going. And then when he came back, he didn't get set back down. He was the best pitcher in baseball for the next 15 to 20 years in Toronto and in Philadelphia had the best year. I think a pitcher's ever had in 2010 when he threw the perfect game in Miami. And then he threw the no hitter in the postseason and LDS game one against the Cincinnati Reds. And I think still to this day, just him and Don Larson are the only two to throw no hitters and a perfect game in postseason baseball play. Um, and then obviously his son's team went 30 and 0 in the high school championship when he was the head coach. So he was perfect in that sense. I think he was kind of depressed that he never won a ring as a player. That was always his big goal. He never got there. Um, and then obviously, I don't know if you caught the end of that uh, film when they kind of talked about the day of his death and what happened. Uh, just a very, very sad thing. Did you get a chance to watch that? No, I didn't get a chance to see the end. I mean, I won't ruin it completely for you, but, like, there's just text messages going back and forth with his wife. She wanted him uh, to go to his son's uh, band thing at school. or she, I, I guess they were both going, but she wanted him to go get lunch with him so that they can go together. And he was like, nah, I, I got to take my, uh, my uh, aircraft back to the airport because I guess it was just in their backyard, his chopper that he had. And uh, I guess they were all bitter. They were in a fight. And they, there were several text messages um, swapped back and forth. And then eventually, um, apparently he told her that he was flying it back to the airport, uh, the aircraft. And I think it was... Uh, he told his wife that he was flying north to the airport, but he actually flew west near the Gulf of Mexico, where obviously that's where they found the aircraft in the water. Uh, so he lied to her and then ends up dying. And I think there were uh, there was morphine, among other things, morphine, amphetamine, among other things, found in his system when he had died. So his drug addiction, even though he went to rehab twice, that's what they said throughout the documentary, he went to rehab twice, he didn't really get over it. And uh, it's just sad to watch one of the greatest athletes, one of the greatest pitchers you've ever seen in Major League Baseball history, and A-Rod alludes to it in the documentary as well, have such uh, issues at such a young age because he retired at 36 and he's gone by 40 years old. We saw it earlier this year, Kobe Bryant dying tragically in a helicopter accident at 41, as well as the other three families involved. It's just sad to see some of these guys who worked their entire lives to be Hall of Fame type uh, or even just worthy uh, human beings and athletes in a sense not even get a chance to uh, speak at their own Hall of Fame inductions because Kobe Bryant obviously getting inducted this year and Roy Halladay's wife spoke on behalf of him in 2019. I mean, Roy Halladay worked his entire life to be up there on that stage in Cooperstown and he didn't even get a chance to uh, do it himself. 
Yeah, it's just a sad, tra- tragic event of a guy gone way too soon. I think the title of the documentary was a, a good one, Imperfect. I think it fit the theme. Oh, 100%. And his wife talks about it at the beginning. She's like, I hate that word. I hate the word perfect because... Uh, again, he threw the perfect game, the no-hitter. He strived to be perfect every time he was out on the mound. She even said that he threw up before every single game from the time he was 18 to the time that he was 36 years old when he retired. He would throw up before every game. He would take sleeping pills the night before because he was so anxious, couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I mean, it's a real problem. It's a real problem to go through anxiety, depression, especially when you're trying to be absolutely perfect all the time like Roy Halladay did. It's very sad. I'm glad we got to talk about the Roy Holiday, his life, in the documentary. And again, it's available on e60espn.com as well if you check it out. I'll admit, I, I cried a little bit, teared up a little bit at the end uh, watching that documentary. It's just, it's a very sad documentary, but also very, um, very knowledgeable. If you're a baseball fan, if you're a fan of Roy Halladay, Phillies fan, Blue Jays fan, definitely one you want to check out. I agree. Moving on to a new topic. Do you want to talk about, let's see, what do you want to talk about next? Well, we could talk about the uh, minor league baseball, or I guess major league baseball draft. It's being shortened, right, to only five rounds this year? That's is what you were telling me? Yeah, only five rounds. So five rounds this year. Uh, I think it was Jeff Passan that first reported it, saying that the 2020 Major League Baseball draft is going to be only five rounds. Um, all players who go undrafted are apparently going to be eligible to sign for a maximum of $20,000, while there was also a proposal to the union for a 10-round draft, but the sides didn't come to that agreement. So all players that go undrafted are eligible to sign a contract for a maximum of $20,000. And I think it was on March 26th, which was supposed to be opening day 2020, the uh, Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association agreed to a deal that gave MLB the right to shorten the draft to only five rounds, which is good and bad. There's pros and cons on each side. As you know, you're, you're a Cubs fan. I'm a Yankee fan. Um, I mean, the shortened format turns into a positive, I think, for the Yankees, potentially outweighing the loss of some of the picks that they would have had because of the caveat to the league's decision, I guess, to, to shorten the draft is that teams are going to have an opportunity to select an unlimited amount of undrafted free agents during a designated signing period, after all. And, and that being said, depending on how teams approach the next few months financially, from a financial standpoint, uh, some clubs may even choose to bring in a large group of players that would have otherwise been selected in the draft. So from a player projected to be picked, let's say, at the top of the sixth round, you could say, just for example, all the way to the the low-level prospects that would have been called in the final few rounds. Anyone available after the fifth round as the final pick is on an even uh, even playing field. And to keep this process fair between all 30 big league clubs, each signing will be capped off at $20,000, like they said. So with the draft day bonus kind of equal, these uh, phenom players are going to be drafted kind of like the Steven Torkelson, who I know, first baseman from A, ASU is uh, projected to go number one, possibly for the first time ever, a first baseman being drafted as the first overall pick ever. Uh, He can elect to sign and can be recruited based upon organizational fits and personal preference because there's plenty of factors that go into these decision-making processes, as is the case with any free agency at the big league level. But consider this question, Colin. If you're choosing to sign 
with a team for a uniform bonus, meaning these prospects will earn the same financially regardless of which team they choose. Why not pick the New York Yankees? I mean, perhaps they grew up a New York Yankee fan locally. Maybe they dispersed across the country. Maybe they want to be a part of New York's organization because of the history there, player development, and even the culture there these days. Or, you know, a prospect wants to be a part of a farm system with an end goal of making a big league roster that appears to be set for contention for years to come, like the Yankees or even like the Cubs, if they can get all of their crap together because they are one of the more talented teams in the league, in the National League, at the least and everything considered an offer from the New York Yankees or even the Chicago Cubs warrants a player's attention and could potentially outweigh interest from those lower tier franchises like the San Francisco Giants or Pittsburgh Pirates or the Mets or even the Miami Marlins so of course I mean there's no way to know yet if those players that take $20,000 from New York or Chicago are going to end up in the big leagues one day Perhaps the Yankees elect to reserve funds for a different um, venture one day, but these players aren't mandated to sign after this year's draft anyways. They can always return to school or even bide their time um, until 2021. Yeah, I think this is definitely interesting having only five rounds. Because I was reading some articles that in the past, like maybe April, they are talking about some of the players who've been drafted over the years that under this new rule would have not been drafted. And some of the names that stood out to me were, for example, Jacob deGrom, he would not have been drafted. Wow. Or Nelson and Cruz. Those are two names I can remember on top of my head. Could you imagine if it was the NFL, Tom Brady would have never been drafted in 99. Yeah, he never would have been drafted. See you later, Russell Wilson. Wouldn't have been drafted. I mean, either way, players that would have otherwise been, you know, like selected in round six through 40, they're going to be available to each and every major league club via free agency. I mean, it's feasible that, um, like we talked about, the Yankees or the Cubs could come away with several top prospects. They wouldn't have been able to secure... Uh, they wouldn't have been able to secure those uh, prospects had traditional draft day procedures been in effect. So I think there's pros and cons to this, and I guess there's only one way to find out. Tune in uh, later on in the month. And it's also uh, very disappointing not knowing that we weren't going to get uh, the first Omaha MLB draft where they're actually going to have it live from the College World Series. So that's very disappointing. Yeah, I was excited for that too. I think like the one the one good story that MLB has on the the MLB Network Studios draft is that the first year that they did it only one player showed up and he almost didn't get drafted like all the analysts talked about it like Harold Reynolds and Matt Vaskersian talked about it like oh my god there's only one kid here and through the first 25 picks, he wasn't drafted. I think he was the 27th overall uh, round draft pick by the LA Angels, and it just turned out to be the face of baseball, Mike Trout. So I think that's like the one cool story that they have uh, when it comes to having the draft at MLB Network Studios in Secaucus, New Jersey, but it would have been cool to see it in Omaha, Nebraska, given that more players would have been there since everybody's there for the College World Series anyways. Yeah, they, uh, especially with Mike Trout, when he was drafted like 27th, they mentioned uh Randall Grigic all the time because he was drafted by the Angels before Mike Trout. So. Wow. And he obviously did not have the same success. I'd say not. And I think, uh, I think, what year had that been? 2009, 2010? I think that was a- I think the Yankees, uh, the Yankees definitely, I think they were the pick or two before the Angels and they, they skipped Mike Trout. Who did they draft? 
Uh, let me look that up. It was definitely someone relevant in today's uh, game. It was nobody nearly as close as Mike Trout. They obviously got it right with Aaron Judge in 2013, thank goodness. But Oh, interesting. I actually interviewed this guy, Slade Heathcott. 2009 out of Texas high school so an outfielder and again like didn't pan out um I know he spoke about it often he had a, off the field issues um but yeah Slade Heathcott was no Mike Trout that's for sure the Cubs drafted Brett Jackson <laughs> I forever him for a short time but he wasn't very good either no I mean, they got it right with Aaron Judge in 2013. Obviously, got Clint Frazier, um, Gary Sanchez. Obviously, they got right uh, as a signing uh, free agent. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that was like the one cool story that came out of that MLB Network studio designed draft. But this year would have been awesome to see all of those guys out there. Given that everyone out there playing college ball was going to be out there in Omaha for the College World Series as it was. So it was going to be quite the spectacle, kind of like what the NFL draft was going to be this year. Yeah, another big, big event I was looking forward that probably is going to be canceled is the Field of Dreams game. Uh, definitely. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they will postpone that till next year. I still think that game is going to be played because they made the field. Like, they're not, like, they worked their asses off to put the field out, and obviously they're going to lose a lot of money now since they're, they're not creating any revenue on it. But it's there, and once everything goes back to semi normalcy, they're going to create enough revenue to play a series there. At least, I think the plan was to play um, two games there. It was a three game series between the Yankees and the White Sox, and two of those games were going to be played in Iowa at the Field of Dreams, which would have been awesome to see. I mean, I know that they were going to sell tickets for like over 10 grand, which is probably going to more than make up for the revenue that they used to actually make the ballpark, but uh, it, it's going to be definitely uh, something to watch. Watch out for come I probably I would say over the summer in 2021 July August. Yeah, I agree. What do you think of the cuts by like minor league baseball players being cut by teams on like the Mets, Cubs? Are you in favor? Do you understand? Or are you more just like? I mean, yeah, you have to understand it from both sides. I mean, it's a business. So, like you mentioned, those teams, the Cubs, the Yankees have cut over 45 players. It's a business. You can't hold on to all of them. You're not creating any revenue this year. I mean, there's... I mean, money gets brought in by the fans, you know, like uh, concessions. Uh, I mean, that's why beers are fourteen fifty at Yankee Stadium. I don't know what they're at at Wrigley, but that's what they are at Yankee Stadium for a, a twenty-five cent plastic cup and, and a brewski. So, I, I I see it from a business standpoint, but at the same time, there's other owners who haven't cut anybody, you know, because they get it. Nobody's making anything. Like you're screwing guys out of their livelihoods because of a pandemic that they had no control over. So there's some owners that get it while there's some owners that know that they're this is a business and things have to be uh, done in order for the organization to move forward in a decent situation headed into 2021 and if not uh th this summer so i see it from both ends yeah i see it from both ends because i've seen a uh Dayton moore he's the kansas city royals gm he talked about how they're not going to cut a single player but i thought that's his view, obviously, not making any money, so... Right, I mean, there's some teams that can afford to do that, there's other teams that can't, like the Oakland Athletics 
can't afford to do that. I mean, they have little to no money to spend on these guys that are making $400 a week in the minor leagues, especially for guys that they see no potential in. So for guys like Dayton Moore, who have the money, uh, the Kansas City Royals, obviously, they're not the Yankees or uh, the Dodgers when it comes to payroll, but at the same time, he gets it. Uh, I, I honestly think that the Yankees could have gone without cutting anybody, but again, they're the evil empire. I see them making business decisions for their their own uh, their, their business, or the Steinbrenners, or the Cashmans. Um, I think the Dodgers, the Mets, the White Sox, the Rays, the Rangers, and the Orioles have also pledged to not uh, cut anybody through the month of June. We'll see what happens when July hits. Um, but I think the White Sox said that they were even providing those uh, the, the stipends to 25 minor league players who they recently released. And the Phillies also plan um, to continue their allowances through the month of June, but likely at a reduction from the $400 per week rate, like I just mentioned. So the amount of money is to be determined for the Phillies and even the White Sox. But uh, and also to add... Just to give credit to where credit's due, David Price, left-handed pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers this season, just got traded from the Red Sox this offseason, is uh, giving each player, I believe, $1,000 per month. That's right. Which is astonishing. Yeah, because he hasn't even played one game with the Dodgers yet. I was surprised that he was that generous considering even the ownership wouldn't do that. Well, he may be on a different team, Colin, but he still has that ridiculous $210 contract or $210 million contract. I let the yeah. million parts slip there. That's true. He, he's not struggling for cash. He's, he's okay. Unlike some players in the minor leagues or fringe major leaguers who aren't exactly rolling in the big block. Because I think we talked about it on the show before. I don't know if it was with you, but a NAR player, his name is uh, Sing Soo Chu on the Texas Rangers. He was also giving out a good amount of money to my league players too. I mean, for those guys that have those contracts, even Shinsu Chu, I know, he's got a pretty decent contract when he signed with the Rangers when he left Cleveland or Cincinnati, wherever he was at in Ohio, because I know he played for both of them. Uh, but, I mean, these guys with larger contracts, I mean, good for them. Like, it's their money. They can do whatever the hell they want with it. But to see them go out of their way, because they they went through the minor leagues. They went through the the struggles and the grind uh, of playing minor league baseball, whether it was living in, like, a a 45-foot square building with four or five teammates at a time. You know, like, they go through those struggles. You only eat one meal per day, all those bus rides, all those long grinds playing uh, series after series in small towns all over the world. So they understand it from that perspective, David Price and Shinsu Chu, among others that we probably haven't heard of yet. But it's definitely nice to see that uh, they're supporting each other, like baseball players supporting baseball players because they knew what they went through. They have empathy towards what they went through. Yeah, I have some experiences like that when I would go to a lot of San Jose Giants games, the high-class day for the San Francisco Giants, because a lot of the players on the Giants who were rehabbing would play in San Jose. So, for example, uh, Jonathan Sanchez... He used to play for the Giants, and he threw a no-hitter against the Padres in 2009. Once he went to rehab in San Jose, and he usually driving a fancy cream-colored Range Rover, and all the other cars in the players' parking lot were like beat-up cars and regular old cars, and he was driving like his fancy Range Rover. You see, there you go. That's a perfect example. Great story, too. Yeah, because it, it's a lot different when the major leaguers like John Sanchez or also Mark Tarosa. I got to meet him personally. He was a really nice guy, but he also was driving like a fancy car, not a... I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. 
It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's only gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should have used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.